working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today I'm talking with drummer, audio engineer, studio owner, producer, educator, and product developer, Mr. Brian Stevens. As you might imagine, he wears many different hats, not just in his career, but in a given day. He's always looking for ways to make innovations or improvements, whether it's to his own playing, existing products or concepts, or conversations on social media. It's this kind of curiosity and imagination that I think is increasingly necessary in today's music world, and Brian has both to spare. His latest venture is Session Ace, which began as his quest to design good-sounding but affordable in-ear monitors for himself, and has evolved into an entire line of tools and accessories for working musicians. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes, learn more about who we are and what we're about, and you can also find a link to our Patreon page, or just go to Patreon.com slash WorkingDrummer if you'd like to contribute a little money each month to help keep the podcast going strong. There are some great incentives there for donations at any level, including t-shirts and stickers, access to bonus content, and a free lesson with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed on an episode of Working Drummer. You can donate as much or as little as you see fit, starting at $1 a month, and every donation at any level is greatly appreciated. Also want to let you know that Working Drummer Podcast is available through Stitcher. Whether you subscribe to us on Stitcher or iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. One more thing on the donation tip, we now have the ability to accept one-time donations through PayPal. If you're interested in making a one-time donation to help us out, just go to workingdrummer.net and along the right side of the page, you'll see a button that says Donate with PayPal. Thank you in advance for that. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say, on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a, you know, kind of a double 45, and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that. And then the uh, batter side's going to be a little bit sharper. Just so you get that nice snap out of the kick, but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone. You can also find a link to the new Sublime Birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer. In the near future, we've got much more to share in regard to Crush Drums and this dynamic company. For now, check out Crush Drums at crushdrum.com.
So I've known Brian since not long after I moved to Atlanta, and this talk we had was typical of one of our coffee or lunch hangs, which is to say we planned for an hour and ended up talking for two. Uh, he has the, the quintessential southern gift of gab. He's one of those people who is overflowing with thoughts and ideas on just about anything you want to bring up, and it's always worth hearing him out because if he's talking about something, chances are he's already thought about it quite a bit. So let's get to it with Brian Stevens. When I was doing the Music Pro Show back in like 2005 to 2000, almost eight, um, it was one of maybe three music industry podcasts at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing about it is there were a thousand people that listened every week. The sad thing about it was there will only there would only be a thousand people that would listen every week. Yeah. Because yeah. getting it was not nearly, even after they put it in iTunes, it was not nearly as easy. Right. Uh, and people still didn't understand. So you download this thing to your, and you know, and the iPhone was still fairly new. And right. Everybody had one. It's not like now. Right. Everybody has one or something, some semblance of one. Uh-huh. And even now, like my wife, my wife's a good gauge for what's really mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, Wives are usually a good gauge for a yeah. lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm wearing, yeah. whether or not it's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's a she's a great gauge for things like that because she doesn't listen to podcasts. Mm. Now she'll listen to them if I send one to her mm-hmm. and her phone magically starts playing it. Right. But uh, as far as finding and subscribing, and, and we've had that talk that hey, you know, there's great lots of great cooking podcasts mm-hmm. and there's podcasts for pretty much anything you would have an interest in right and she's just like yeah whatever right turn on the radio right and just um, kind of listen to whatever's on the radio mm-hmm. yeah it seems kind of unaccessible to to some people for some reason and there's you know there's shit that seems unaccessible to me or inaccessible right. snapchat seems inaccessible to me yeah. Especially I, now. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I'm I'm 37 and I think that's like too old for Snapchat by a factor of two. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I remember my wife telling me uh, a few years ago, like, because uh, we were talking about my social media presence mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I kind of tried Twitter. I hated it, just didn't, yeah. didn't connect with it. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. my wife was like, uh, Twitter and uh, Snapchat are are where it's at. Like if you're if you're under twenty five, then Facebook is a dinosaur. Um, and uh, I think you gotta either play try to play the young person's game or just you know play your older person's game and not worry about Snapchat. I did Snapchat for a little while just because I thought it was interesting and I thought, well, this is a different way to tell a story. Um, but now, especially, they, they did this new update that uh, makes it, for me at least, completely unusable because what it's the, this new update they did, like, um, at least in my timeline where I used to see things, I see top influencers like Gary Vee and other people like that mm-hmm. um, that I was already following. And then I see all these magazine brands and pop culture brands that I have absolutely no interest in right and so that was with the new update i just i I said this is a waste of time at this point and um and so yeah so i'm not 
I'm, I mean, I still have it, but I don't, I don't use it for anything. It was an interesting way to tell stories. But now a lot of those things are now they're an Instagram and they're live thing right. and they're stories thing or whatever. And yeah. I mean, I don't completely go and do that. Y'all are gonna have to sit down now. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, it's I'm I'm still trying to really figure out. I mean, I do a lot of social media stuff, but I'm really, really still figuring out exactly what it is that I'm wanting to do with it. You know, right, right. Um, and that's something like you—you you have a, an interesting social media presence because it—it it seems to me it seems kind of fragmented, right? Um, but I think I think that's intentional. Yeah. Um, just like for just take one social media outlet, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like you, you use Facebook in. A bunch of different ways, yeah. And it it doesn't look like any one of them is getting tons and tons of traction, right? But you have this multi pronged sort mm-hmm. of omnipresent um, uh, approach to right. to social media. So is it uh, like you said? Is it a, is it a work in progress? Is it um, just trying things out and seeing what sticks, what feels good, yeah. what you know? Well, and and there's there's also sort of a With all my social media, I've always taken more of a day-in-the-life approach. Mm -hmm. And not just a day-in-the-life approach, but a day-in-the-life-of-my-brain approach. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I post are things that I see Mm -hmm. and are things that I read that are important. That's part of it, and that's going to change a little bit more this year. Because I am getting – I'm getting focused on on three main areas. But so far, it's really been sort of a – um, life is complex. People are complex. How about we just? Uh, how about I illustrate the complexity of life through things that I post? Mm-hmm. So that's why it seems very fragmented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it really is. It's like of all the stuff that I see, all the stuff that I read, all the stuff that I come in contact with. Here's the stuff that I think would be most interesting to you and probably most important. Right, and uh, so it's almost like a DJ remixing culture, but culture from the seat of a forty-six-year-old creative professional. Right, and it, I'm, I'm realizing that uh, your your Facebook presence, especially, I think, is about kind of curating content. Yeah, um, and it's it's not about saying, "Look at me." No, no. It's it's your uh, you're, you're you're not trying to. Um, Invent topics right. to talk about. Right. You're trying to like start a conversation about a topic you see, yeah, um, and be a facilitator and a curator of ideas, yeah. that way. Which I think is like it more. It's it's probably more constructive to the general conversation, but it's also um, like I mean, social media I think is is fraught with emotional risk. Oh yeah, especially for artists and sure. and creatives. Like when they put something out on social media, if it's something that they created, if it's something right. that they you know are passionate about, then it has the potential to be ignored. Oh yeah, and therefore a source of disappointment or or whatever. Right. Um, but if if you kind of curate this content mm-hmm. um, and and contribute to the conversation that way, then there's you know this it's it's not like you're putting your baby out into the world right, right, right. <laughs> and saying yeah. please love my baby. Mm. Um, it's a, I think it's better for the conversation and it's better, uh, for the person who, who puts it out yeah. there, less, less emotional risk and more right. intellectual reward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my goals with social media are a lot different. Um, I'm not trying to get, and, and 
and this kind of speaks to. I don't know if we're actually recording the show at this point, but well, I'll finish my you're, thought. You're in charge of the button, <laughs> man. We're we're in um, your we're in your home. Um, with 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 my career overall, but definitely with my social media presence, what I'm not trying to do. I, I have a, a drummer friend of mine who, over the past year, has stepped up his game with, especially with Instagram, mm-hmm. um, specifically for drumming. And the idea was to get as many people to see him as possible to uh, be able to turn around and use that to some benefit for the companies that he's aligned with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for him, you know, he had like, like this magic number of 20,000 that he's trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And he's maybe halfway there at this point. Uh, whereas I hover more like around eleven or 1,200 people maybe on Instagram or something. Right. But my my whole modality is different in that I would rather have a thousand people that pay attention to everything that I have to say, yeah, and engage most of it, yeah, in some way, whether it's um, leaving a comment or liking something, yeah, or. Uh, like with the Atlanta drummers breakfast thing that we did right. this past weekend, having people show up because for me that's more important than having a bunch of people that pass through something hit the like and keep moving. Right. I want people to sit with things for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing this Monday thing about a month ago where for about forty five minutes, part of it's a recap of the week or something. Um, that's coming up I want people to know about but more than half of it is me taking a topic that is of importance um, and and something that I feel like can be useful to people mm-hmm. and I just share some thoughts about it mm-hmm. and that ends up being like a 45 minute thing by the time I'm done I right. shoot for 30 I get 45 and I had a friend that called me the other day who's very ADD very artistic very hit it and get gone kind of thing and so he um, he wanted to have a talk with me about what I was doing with social media and how I should try and get everything I'm like he's he said you know the thing that you talked about for like twenty five or thirty minutes like you could have said that in about two minutes you could have just put these little platitudes out had a great two or two or three minute thing and then people would have shared it people would have done all these things and he had these real grandiose plans for me and. I had to kind of reel him back in. I said, um, that's cool, and believe me, you're going to see more of that kind of stuff. For me, I, I sort of work in reverse order. I say all that I possibly want to say about something. Like when I'm writing, mm-hmm. uh, like when I'm writing, if somebody says I, I need to write, if I'm writing a magazine article uh, and they say, well, you've got to write a 3,000-word magazine article, I write a 5,000-word magazine article. Right. And then I go back and I look and I say, all right, here's – out of all the stuff I got, which was probably 10,000 words, I used 5,000. Mm-hmm. And now which 2,000 words really are not absolutely integral to that article? Right. And then that's what I hand in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a 1,000-word article, I write 3,000 words and then I pare it back. Yeah. And it's that's part of what Mondays is about for me is here's some ideas that – my real core group of people, usually th- that are people that I have a lot of communication with, mm-hmm. um, they're going to sit and watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I can't tell. There's 
dozens and dozens of people that sit for 45 minutes and they they digest the whole thing. And then they'll actually turn around and whatever that directive is, whatever that call to action is, if it's, uh, you know, list one thing for yourself this week that uh, that is a tentpole important thing in your life that you need to focus on mm-hmm. this month, they'll write it down. They'll even text me. I mean, half of the texts that I get are work, and half the texts that I get are people that interact, but they don't necessarily want to interact um, in a public forum. Right. It's right. a lot safer for them if they, because they know my phone number, they'll text me. Yeah. Or they'll send me an email. I get emails all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably get a dozen or two a day from people that are going through and taking action on stuff that they see that I'll talk about or something I'll post. Yeah. Or maybe they have a long narrative that they want to tell about maybe something that they um, they read mm-hmm. that I pointed to. And they'll give me their thoughts on that thing. Right. It's not something they'd ever put in a long post. Right. But it's something that they want me to read and know about. Yeah. So this is this is a different approach to, to social media because I, I think most people think of social media as – a thing where uh, you you want to have as many interactions as possible. Right. You want to have as many contacts and connections as possible. Um, but what what you're talking about is using social media to um, have more meaningful interaction with a smaller number of people. Yeah. Um, which is it, again, it's counterintuitive to kind of what most people use or try to use social media for but i think in the in the age we're living in um i think those kind of lower level uh community based interactions and relationships are are more important than ever yeah and uh you know whether it's in music or politics or or anything um so it's uh it's it's good for me to think about that too on on facebook or instagram or whatever like not not the number of mm-hmm. interactions I'm getting, but the quality yeah. of those interactions and the the frequency yes. of those interactions and that's the relationships everything. the relationships that you can create. That's everything that are more than ethereal likes, right? You know, because if if you want to think of it from a business standpoint, ultimately business, business it's relationships, right? It's and business ultimately, if you're running a successful business, business is about conversion. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for someone to look at something that you present them, whether it's a product or a service. You're in business because you convert into a sale. Right. Now, I don't – that being said, I don't think of people as sales. Right. But if you run any kind of business, you have to have sales. Right. If you don't have sales, you don't have business. Mm -hmm. You don't have a business. You have a hobby. Mm-hmm. So the studio downstairs, if uh, all that gear sat there and all I did was make my own stuff for myself, that is my outlet of creativity and my hobby. Mm-hmm. But the fact that people pay me to do stuff for them, whether it's cut a drum track or uh, produce produce a song for them or come in and mix something or overdubs, the fact that people pay me is what makes that a business. Right. To put something together like a song, 
I have this discussion with artists all the time that I'm working with. And there are artists that I work with. There have been people that I've started records with that we never finished them because in the middle of the process, that person has figured out I don't want to be in the marketplace. Mm. I want to make something for myself, and we've made enough that I'm happy. Mm. Yeah. And I've, I've satiated whatever that need is to create something, and I'm cool. All right. right. Yeah, we only did six out of 14 songs. That's cool. I got the six I wanted done. Maybe we'll go revisit the 14. Right. Thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and if anything, what I've done is I've actually saved them time. Uh-huh. I've saved them money. I've saved them a lot of heartache. Yeah. Because what they figured out in the process is I don't want to be a, a business. I don't want to be a, a product or a service or whatever I would consider myself. I don't want to put the thing that I do in front of people and talking about uh, being in front of people mm-hmm. and... Uh, being subject to ridicule or critique right. uh, or rejection or acceptance. Right. I don't want to be subjected to those things. I just wanted to make this because I thought it was cool. I've made enough of it. Great. I'm going to go to a Braves game now mm-hmm. with my wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go live the other part of my life that uh, makes me feel more complete. Yeah. And and talking about, like you, you said, you don't, you don't think of people as sales, mm-hmm. uh, but – um, you know, you, we, we do ultimately have to sell our skills. We have to right. sell our craft. We have to sell our deliverables. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pe- people with whom you interact on social media are like, they're, they're not sales. They're not marks. But, no. but they do need to uh, invest in you in, yes. s- in some way, right. whether it's investing time or attention or, or money to pay for your services or buy your products. Right. Um, so it's 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 just a, an interesting way of thinking about it, like creating creating fewer, deeper, longer lasting right. relationships uh, that that are more sustainable right. uh, socially and economically than the you know big huge stack right. of likes from people, most of which you don't know, half of which might be bots. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so think of think of it this way. There's two ways that you can run a business. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can run a business, but let's let's boil it down to two. Okay, Walmart does not care about um, really care about what you think about their take on the world, mm-hmm. uh, or, or what they think is important, or what they have to say. They want to put a box in the middle of a pasture, put a bunch of stuff in the box, have as many people as they can drive to the box, walk in the box, get the thing as quickly as they can, check out as quickly as possible with the least amount of friction, and leave. Right. And come back later when you need more stuff in the box. Right, right. That's And we just need you here to come to the box and get stuff. And that's all we're really worried about. Yeah. Know that our box is here, know what's in the box, know how much most of that stuff costs, and come get it when you need it. Mm-hmm. There's that way of running things. Uh, if you think about how people used to run business, let's say in the 50s, like the local pharmacist mm-hmm. or the local hardware store, like the guy who owned the local hardware store was probably a carpenter. Mm-hmm. that liked building things 
and at some point decided a hardware store was probably a smarter bet for him. Right. And maybe it allowed him the kind of interaction with people that he wanted without having to sit out in the sun all day long. Mm -hmm. So it's important. It was important for that guy running that hardware business to be very, very interactive with the people in his community Mm -hmm. because he wanted people to go to his hardware store. Right. Right. And part of coming to his hardware store was having, you know, um, Bill come in on a Thursday afternoon when he's supposed to be working, at, but you know he's kind of dodging work because he wants to come in and talk with you about you know the the football game, right? Or he wants to talk with you about some cool new tractor part or something that you guys have a real common interest in, uh-huh. and then you would spend time with Bill and you talk. You may talk for forty five minutes with him, right? And Bill knows that you've got the thing in stock that he right. buys every two months. Uh huh. And And he may not even buy today. Right. He's just coming in to maybe grab a coffee because you have coffee (laughs) and you have a good conversation for him to have. Mm -hmm. But one thing is for certain, when Bill gets ready to buy the thing he wants, there's only one place he's coming to. Right. He's not going to look in five or six different places. He's not going to price shop. He's not going to look at features. He's he's only going to do one thing. That's where I want the thing that I want. Mm-hmm. I don't really care too much about what it costs. Yeah. I just know that I like that dude right. and I want to make sure that he's there the next time I have a conversation want to have a conversation. Right. And as far as cost, he like he's saying, I, I like that dude. He's he's gonna take care of me. Yeah. I might I might be able to get it five or ten percent cheaper somewhere else. Right. But I don't care. Because it's more the value is more uh, is is further reaching than just the item itself. Mm-hmm. When uh, when somebody comes in and they get a drum track from me, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I have some clients that are you know just get in, get out, send me the email, send me the files, kind of stuff. But most of the people that I do drum tracks for are people that in some way I have some weekly interaction with. Mm-hmm. And that working on that drum track for them is a continuance of the interaction. Right. And it, you know, it's it's always centered around them. Mm-hmm. And and in talking about my social media, you know, it most of it doesn't point toward me mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. It points towards the people that are, would pay attention to the things that I set in front of them. Yeah, I'm giving them these conversation pieces that we can have some kind of dialogue about, either there on the platform or in some other modality, mm-hmm. whether it's my email or my text message or a phone call or whatever it is. And so... I'm, I'm putting something there in front of them that if it's something they have an interest in, great. We're probably going to engage about it in some way. If they don't have an interest in it, there are plenty of people that pay attention to my social media that have no interest at all in drums mm-hmm. other than, well, that's a pretty drum set. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or, or something like that. And so they'll just kind of look at it, and they, for them, it's, it really just sort of keeps you top of mind. Right. They just pass it. Yeah, and that's the other thing that I, I notice about your social media is that uh, – on whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever else, um, if I check out your Facebook, there's usually something from that day. Yeah. Um, and it, this is on my struggle with is is you know especially on Instagram for the for the Working Drummer Podcast right. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know I I 
I try to post something every day. I try to repost someone or talk about a guest or what, but a lot of times I fail. Um, and, uh, I, I, I feel like that, that daily interaction, just that kind of daily, like here's, here's today's thing goes a long way for, to, to keep people engaged, to keep that group of people that you've cultivated engaged and, and interacting with you. It's a slow burn. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a slow burn because there's no there's nothing that I'll ever post, even as I'm sort of um, changing and growing and morphing how I use social media. There's nothing that I'll ever post that will ignite some big controversy mm-hmm. because I'm not that that is of no interest to me. Right. If anything. I might do. I I, I kind of I did it the other day with the Gatson thing that I posted. You know, mm-hmm. I looked like for a second I was going to do what most people do, which is really complain about something and really gripe and just like level my venom. Yeah. But I very quickly I was like, you know what sucks? No matter how much I practice, I'll never be James Gatson. <laughs> like all of a sudden, what you thought was going to be this venomous thing very quickly turned into something completely different, mm-hmm. which is – and hopefully it tells you a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. It tells you that practicing is important to me. I do it regularly enough that I would comment about it. Right. It would maybe tell you what some of the emphasis of my practice is. But more than anything, it's the point to James Gatson. And if you know about James Gatson, then here's something you may not have seen. And now we can talk about how much we love James Gatson. Mm-hmm. Like we can talk about him. We can focus on him. We can blow him up for just a second. Right, right. And if you don't know about James Gatson, now you just discovered something that's flipping amazing. Mm-hmm. Like a guy that does something that it looks so simple. But it is one of the, the most difficult things in the world to do behind a set of drums, mm-hmm. yeah. which is to create a pulse, a groove, a, a, a rhythm that is infectious. Right. That immediately sounds like something. Right. But so effortless. And just it looks like he's making sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it looks like there's no effort. I can guarantee you there's a lot of concentration and a lot of effort. Yeah. He's just good at making it look easy. Right, right. And then in turn, what he's doing is he's making all these other musicians. He's giving them this nice pillowy bed that they can just kind of lounge on. Mm-hmm. And relax, and all of a sudden their creativity comes out, and everybody's better as a result of it. Right now, if you are one of those hit it, uh, see it, get out, get in, get out, get done kind of people, you're not going to think that deep about it. Mm-hmm. You might listen to a verse of it, and then you're gone. That's not necessarily my audience, right? And in in pointing to someone else, in shining a light on James Gadson. You're actually you're you're making a statement about yourself as a musician yep. without talking about yourself. Right. Um, and so, you, so you're you're saying here's somebody I admire. Here's a kind of playing that I yeah. strive for. Here's here's a, an aspect of music that I value. Right. And pointing to it, but it reflects back on you. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's a really effective. I mean, it's not sexy. It's not flashy no. as as going on there and bitching or or right. posting your video of of your whatever lick that day. Right. But I think it's it's a it's a more positive, constructive way to contribute to the conversation. Yeah. Not just for the conversation, but for yourself. Yeah. Because, um, like I said, if you if you put something out that has a high risk 
to, to your emotional, you know, yeah. well-being. Um, I, I, I kind of had to learn that the hard way about social media, like, you know, having, having unrealistic expectations for something that I put out there. Um, and you know, it kind of gets ignored or, uh, you know, nobody's ever really flamed me or trolled me about, you know, stuff I post, but you know, you don't get the reaction that you hope for and that fucks with you. Um, so, you know, putting, putting something out there, lifting someone else up, pointing to something that, that you admire, um, I think is, is just, more constructive and, yeah. and less negativity. <laughs> and there's and and for people that get subtext that read beyond the surface. Um, I, I had a, a drum client, drum session client that called a month ago, and he had a really specific sound he was looking for, and a specific groove, and it wasn't anything that was contemporary at all. Mm-hmm. But there was only one person he was going to call. Yeah, and and when when he called me about it, he said, "Hey, I'm putting this track together. Um, here's what I'm going for. Here's the sound I'm looking for. Here's the kind of groove. What do you think?" I said, uh, "Send me what you got, and I'll send you something to listen to." Mm-hmm. And it was that easy. I, and and you know, the next day, sent him the track, and he was knocked out. He's like, "You pulled what was in my head right out, like." That was the thing I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, he knew that he was going to get that from me right. because he's paid attention long enough to know that those are the sorts of things that I value and those are the sorts of things that I'm a student of. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when that James Gatson clip, anybody that knows me really well knows that I didn't just watch it one time. Mm-hmm. I watched it about 50. Right. And I paused it and I looked at every microphone and I looked at what brand of towel was on the Tom Tom <laughs> and wh- how the like I, I I sort of tried to scale measure the cinder block that was in the bass drum uh-huh. and you know the people that know me well enough uh, that follow, have followed me for long enough know that I probably if I haven't already taken all of that downstairs and experimented with it, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. And when they want to sound like that, unless they're going to call James Gatson, they'll probably call me. Right. Because I'll know exactly what it is that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And in the case of this guy that called, yeah, I knew exactly what he was going for. I had the stuff to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't take you know, a brand new Pearl reference kit and try and make it sound like some 60s thing. Right. I pulled something out from the 60s. Yeah. And I pulled cymbals and drums and the right heads and the right tuning and microphones and pre's and all these like kind of like you are with cooking. I was going to say this this <laughs> sounds like cooking. Like the yeah. best the best cooking is about taking the best ingredients you can get, the yeah. right ingredients, right. and not fucking them up. Yeah. And most great chefs give most, if not all, of the credit to the ingredients they're working with, yeah. the farmers and butchers and fishermen who cultivated those ingredients. Yeah. And they were, you know, they, they're just like, these ingredients just showed up in my kitchen and I, I just kind of, you know, put them put them on the plate and yeah. didn't didn't mess with them too much and the reason that this dish is so good like you see a chef cook a dish and then taste it and and he's like oh my god that's so amazing yeah. but he's not saying oh what i did was just so amazing right. he's saying this this food yeah is amazing um and i i think if we can take that approach as musicians like you know the the the, the instruments we have and the gear that we have at our disposal and the skills that we have, mm-hmm. like think of think of those as ingredients 
right. that we can use to to create something great. Well, and and when you do that, you're actually you're you're providing a lot of value to someone. Mm-hmm. Because then whatever you sit in front of them, it's all about them. It's all about engaging their sensibilities. It's about engaging uh, their sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. It's their curiosity. Um, it's not there, – there are plenty of people, and unfortunately some of them are friends of mine, that every post that you see is – Hey, check out this thing I played on. Hey, here's some video of me the other day at a gig. Hey, here's this thing that I've been working on in the practice room Mm -hmm. that uh, I just started working on, but I've actually been working on it for like six months. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to blaze this thing for you. And it's, hey, look at me. 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 Mm -hmm. And they wonder why they don't get the traction, the kind of traction they're looking for. Mm -hmm. They're looking for adulation. They're looking for uh, some sort of uh, verifying response from the masses. Right. And when they neither get the response nor the masses, then they question the world (laughs) and they question the state of affairs. Right. Oh, that's fucking algorithm. Yeah, yeah. People just don't like music anymore, man. <laughs> music business is in the toilet. And yeah, it's it's like no, no, what's kind of in the toilet is the thing that you are doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, what you're doing is not effective. Right. It might be momentarily effective. It might it you know, it might get some attention for literally a few seconds. A few seconds. Um, but it's it's not going to gain you traction in terms of sustainable relationships right. that are going right. to translate to work. Right. And this goes back to like, you know, the, the people on social media are not sales necessarily. They're right. not marks. Right. But, um, but they have to be cultivated. They do. If, if you're going to... Uh, if you're going to use those relationships right. to your advantage. Well, what you're really what I'm at least what I'm trying to do with all of my engagement, whether it's on social media or intrapersonally with people, is I'm trying I'm operating in a currency of trust. Mm. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put things in front of people whether uh, socially or interpersonally where people can pretty quickly get a read on who I am Mm -hmm. and whether or not they can trust me. Mm -hmm. And I want people to see that whatever is important to them, whatever they guard, whatever they uh, hold precious, they can trust me with. Mm -hmm. Whether it's their song or their abilities as a musician, or uh, their feelings, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever it is, right. that they can they can trust that as long as I'm hanging with Brian, it's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. We'll be fine. Right. So when somebody puts a drum solo up, depending on the quality of it, you know, uh, depending on. Um, and I might interject not just the quality of the playing, but the quality of the video. Yeah, it's the quality of the audio and the video. Right. It's the quality of the presentation, mm-hmm. uh, which most of the time, unfortunately, for a lot of guys is lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, 
there are times, and this goes into a whole other discussion, but there are times when if the if the thing that you're watching is so incredibly amazing, you'll forgive um, less than stellar audio quality if it's short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if it's short, right? Uh, you'll you'll even forgive less than stellar video quality if it's short. If it's absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. uh, if it, if it's jaw dropping good, but if it's just hey, that's really good. The the production value has to be much much higher mm-hmm. to warrant someone trading their time uh, and their attention for your thing. Right, and it's you know improving the quality. Uh, I mean, you know a lot more about this than I do, but but in my opinion, improving the, improving the quality of the audio and video of what you put out there doesn't require you to buy a bunch of gear and suddenly become a production studio. Right. It can be stuff as simple as just framing shit correctly yeah. on your phone right? or moving your phone a little further away so right. that it sounds a little better and doesn't sound all, right. you know. Right. Um, and it, so if, if, if I can tell that somebody has just taken a second to make their video watchable and listenable. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to sound like Blackbird. It doesn't have to look like Spielberg. Right. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll hang in there right. for that. Well, I, I, in, in doing my morning survey, I usually in the morning, <clears throat> I do about a 15-minute survey of just kind of whatever, whatever the algorithm says is the thing I might want to take a look at this morning. Um, uh, there was a drummer that I know out on the left coast that had a video of him playing, and it was a drum solo, and it was like six minutes of a drum solo, and yeah, and I mean, exit stage <laughs> left was, was only three for yeah. fuck's sake, and and he's he's a great player, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of things that kept me from watching the entire thing. Uh, production quality was part of it. Mm-hmm. What he played was cool, and I got yeah, this guy is a great. He's a good player, but um, I think there's with anything that you put out, there's there's two things that most people don't speak to. They don't speak to value. Mm-hmm. It's so so what they present has it's it's very surface, very epidermal, right? Very superficial, right? It's so, it's quantity over quality, right? The other thing is art. Mm-hmm. I think that anything that you put out, whether it's something you write, a video you make, a piece of audio, whatever it is, any kind of content that you make has to have a certain eye toward art. Mm -hmm. So when you're positioning your phone, it's one thing to plop your phone down. It's another to try and have a vantage point or a viewpoint. Right. To take that extra three and a half seconds to kind of look and see what does this say from what I'm showing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are there are videos that I've seen where they're not far back. They're super up close, but they're intentionally up close. Right. There's something about being up close that that person wants me to see. Mm-hmm. The only way I'm going to see it is to be up close. Mm-hmm. Then there are other times when something on uh, on first blush may be like, well, that's kind of a weird perspective, but there's a reason why that person gives me that vantage point. There's something there they want me to see. Mm-hmm. They're thinking more artfully about the presentation 
so that um, everything has purpose. Right. And intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, for every one thing I've ever put up that I created, I can guarantee you, because there's a whole shelf of hard drives on the other side of that curtain, there are 150 things I didn't put up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because either I did just toss the camera up or throw my phone up there, mm-hmm. um, or I went, you know what, I've got to do this anyway. How about I just record it and just see what happens, Right. see if something falls out, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> or I missed the mark. Like, I had something in my mind that I thought, yeah, this is the thing, I, this, is, this is what I'm going for, and then when I sat down and looked at it or listened to it, uh, either something about what I did from a production standpoint missed the mark mm-hmm. or something that I did in my – if it's a musical performance, something I did in my performance, I went, yeah, I don't want to put that in front of people. <laughs> That's right. a common mistake I see. Right. Like people put things out and a lot of times they use their barometer for what they think is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not very objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you put a piece of content in the world, we'll just since it's a drum podcast and we're talking to drummers, when you put either a thirty or a, a thirty second sample or a three minute sample of your playing, that might be the only thing anybody ever sees about your playing. Mm-hmm. And they may not watch the whole thing. Right. So if there's a gaff in the first five seconds. It shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. If there's a gaff 45 seconds in, even though more than half the people won't make it there, <laughs> it shouldn't be there either. Yeah. Unless, and I have done this, I've put video up online that I knew was less than stellar uh-huh. because the purpose of the video was to illustrate. Here's what not to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I, here's, here's a human moment yeah. <laughs> in, in Brian Stevens' day. <laughs> well, and, and like uh, w- with one of my old uh, old versions of my BrianStevens.com blog, I put a, a, a post up, and this has been years ago, and I called the, the entry Game Tapes. And basically what I was talking about, and this was right at the, the – the, where we turned the corner on decent enough video and audio for live stuff with the Zoom recorders and things. Mm-hmm. And I was, and they were still fairly expensive, maybe 250, 300 bucks, but not so expensive that it was prohibitive. Right. And the, the thing I was writing about at the time was how, if you're, especially if you're a working professional, that you need to carry one of these with you everywhere. You should record every time you practice, every gig that you play, like, even if you're not going to ever show it to the rest of the world, because you need, just like athletes that operate at the highest levels, if you want to be a Super Bowl running back, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you got to watch your game tapes. Yeah, yeah. And not just the ones that you think are going to impress everybody. You need to watch, if anything, you need to watch twice as much, three times as much, the game tapes where you really flubbed it. Yep. Because you got to figure it out, or even not not necessarily that you you flubbed it and caused a train wreck or whatever, but it uh, it'll alert you to some bad habits right. that you perceive as a listener that you don't perceive right. as a player. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. Like yeah. I'll listen back to something, you know, a live gig or, or whatever, and 
I'll notice that I keep doing this certain thing over and yeah. over and it never like I, I I never feel good when I hear it. Yeah. It didn't cause a train wreck. Maybe no maybe nobody noticed it but me. But I was like if I just would do that less or not at all, yeah. then I'd feel a lot better about yeah. this song as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> that's and that's the process of as an an artist, even as as we're service professionals, you know, we're we're providing service uh, a service as a player in service of other people, there's still a certain amount of what we do that has to be artful. Mm-hmm. And in learning to be a great artist, you have to learn how to how to edit and shape and sculpt your thing. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be a gap between your taste and your current status. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, over time, you're closing the gap. Yeah, yeah. If anything, your tastes get better as your status gets better. You know, wherever you are in the continuum gets right. better. You're always chasing. Yeah, and maybe the gap's always the same. Right. But where you are in terms of the, the mile marker is further ahead. Yeah, it's about the, the, the more you know the more you know how much you suck. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, exactly. And so, and so you're always progressing. You're right. always getting better, yeah. but you're you're also always seeing how much further you have to go yeah. and how that's always a moving goalpost. This reminds me of, uh, like, the, the whole posting videos thing yeah. reminds me of uh, Carrie Frank, mm-hmm. who's a great uh, keyboardist and B3 player mm-hmm. based in L.A., and he recently uh, got to do a, a leg of uh, the Tedeschi Trucks tour, right. um, subbing for um, uh, Kofi. Yeah. Kofi Burbridge. Um, so, you know, Kofi had a heart attack. And, like, within within days, Tedeschi Trucks had to find a new organ guy. Yeah. So Tim LaFave, the bassist, recommended Kerry. He knew Kerry from L.A. Right. And... They, they don't have time to go through a whole audition process and interview Carrie and, you know, throw a bunch of music at him. And, like, they had to make a call. So they looked at his social media. They looked at his Facebook Live stuff. They looked at his Instagram. And it's all current. It's, uh, you know, it very little of it is in a studio. Right. You know, most of it is, is his phone videos yeah. or videos that his friends took that he reposted. But... Every one of them, there's there's something compelling about almost every one of them. Right. Sometimes it's his playing. Like sometimes the audio and video is like wonky, but you're like, holy shit, Carrie is tearing it up. Yeah. Sometimes um, he he you know he he sets the the phone on the B3 mm-hmm. at a cool angle so you can just kind of see his hands. Yeah. And uh, so he 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 is someone that's really good at kind of not only posting things very regularly, mm-hmm. but you know making making something compelling about yeah. everything he posts. And he said that's that's how he got the gig. Yeah. The guys in the band, like, they looked at his social media and they were like, that's the guy. Get him out here yeah. right now. So he had to learn 60 songs in, in 36 hours or something, yeah. and you know. But, but when they made that call, because of what he had put in front of people, they were confident that they weren't asking for something that they weren't going to get. Right. It goes back to trust. Yeah. Like, what you put out there is a statement about your taste, yeah. your judgment, your, uh, you know, Dan Savage talks about uh, in, in relationships, like, a lot, of, a lot of what people are looking for in a mate is good judgment. Yeah. And they don't give it that name, 
but if if you if you can't trust someone's judgment, it's going to be hard to have a meaningful relationship with them. Right. And it's the same in music. Yeah. So what you put out on social media is a direct reflection of your taste, your judgment, your maturity, right. um, and and you know putting putting stuff out there of quality in that regard right. will go a long way with people who matter. Right. And and I I went through a thing probably about three years ago. I've gone without a website now for a little more than two years. That's going to change this year. Um, I took down uh, a ton of stuff that I had put over the last eight or nine years on YouTube. I took down the majority of it. I'd say 90% of what I had on YouTube that I had posted, I took down. The stuff that I left up, um, either it was something that got a lot of traction, like I've got one video that had like 14,000, 15,000 views, um, for whatever reason, it was a total accident. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those kind of phone video type things. That obviously, there was something appealing about it enough that that many people looked at it. I left that, and I left a few other things. Um, but I intentionally took a lot of things down that I just went, given what I know now, and given the current landscape, the the options that people have, the things they can look at, the things they can see, none of that stuff is compelling in the least. Mm-hmm. It might illustrate some things I want, but it's it's not enough to leave there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in some cases, there were some things I looked at that, you know, five years ago, that would have been a good representation of who I was five years ago as a player. Right. But now I feel like from the, the work that I've done, the practice that I put in, the lessons that I've taken, the, the, uh, just the reps, getting in the, the proverbial gym and getting beat up mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that whole process of just um, shaping and editing and chiseling away – I'm a much different player now. Right. So right. I, I. So those old videos might misrepresent very the musician much so. you are now. Very and, much so. And this is like writing a bio. Like there, you know, there, there are certain aspects of, of people's story that that may have been really important at right. one time and may have you know shaped the kind of musician they were for right. a period of time. Um, but it's it 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 doesn't say anything about who they are now. Right. Or uh, you know, maybe maybe you can allude to it and say, you know, this person went through this process and became this thing now. So what, like what you, what you post has to say something about the kind of musician you are now, right? Because the kind of musician you are, the kind of musician you were 10 years ago, uh, to most people doesn't matter anymore. Right. Because most people who are going to follow you, who are going to interact with you, who are going to hire you, um, care about the kind of musician you are now. Sure. Um, so you have to decide what's essential to your story, right. what's essential to your identity, right. what's a good representation of it. And, and up to this point, especially when I pulled everything offline, um, I'll admittedly, there are much fewer things of me playing and much more about who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's intentional Yep. because we all know that the playing at a certain point, at a certain level, with a certain group of people, once you get high enough in the hierarchy, the playing part is sort of a given. Mm-hmm. Right. 
like at a certain point, people don't even consider that anymore. Mm-hmm. They just sort of know, especially with the people that I've that I currently get work from. Like the the playing is a given, mm-hmm. you know. And and up to this point, I I haven't really the last few years I haven't really tried to cultivate a whole lot of new business. I've just been. Um, Rein- so, reinforcing, yeah, reinforcing, the old. yeah, reinforcing uh, with with the tribe of people that already know what I do. I, I, I know I keep interrupting you, but this is a thing that I think a lot of musicians struggle with in terms of networking. Right. Do I spend energy and time creating new relationships, or do I spend energy and time uh, strengthening old right. ones? Um, and I, I spent a lot of energy and time in LA trying to create new relationships, mm-hmm. and I, I had some success in that regard, but. Since coming to Atlanta, I've put more emphasis on strengthening existing relationships, yeah. and I, I can tell you, I'm happier for it. Right, definitely. To well, get because, to get traction, right. feels really good instead of feeling like you're having to constantly plant seeds. Right, right. Yeah, and and the the thing about the the work that I've gotten to do the last twenty two twenty three years I've been in Atlanta. The majority of the work that I've gotten has come from maybe 20% of the people that I know. Mm, yeah. But it's also the 20% of the people that I have the deepest connections with, mm-hmm. the people I've spent the most time with in whatever way we spend time together, the, that I have the most interaction with. The quality of those interactions is so high mm-hmm. that if they need the kind of thing that I'm built for, there's only one call they're making. Right. And that's sort of a, the distinction about my career that I've, instead of everybody knowing and everybody, um, I'm trying to pick my word here, right, to really say what I mean. It's one thing to be on the cover of a magazine and have everybody know who you are mm-hmm. and have zero actual reach with those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, people that are looking for that as their goal, as their end game, as um, the barometer for whether or not they're good at what they do. Mm-hmm are missing the point entirely. Mm -hmm. The point of what we're doing is to have friends in, and and I use the word friends in a different kind of way. Talking about having allies. Having people that we can lock arms with. Right. And we're on the same team. Right. Right. And it's about... Like something my wife says all the time. I've said it on the podcast before. People don't remember what you play. People don't remember what you say. What they remember is how you make them feel. Yeah. So when somebody thinks of Brian Stevens, when it's somebody that you have a relationship with, that you've worked with before, they think of Brian Stevens and the calculation they make is not, I I know what he's going to play. I can predict the decisions that he's going to make on this project that I've got going. Their calculation is, I know how it feels to work with Brian Stevens, right. and I want that. Right. That's that's totally it. Yeah. I had a singer that uh, was here a few weeks ago that flew in from Portland to work, 
And she came, I, I'd never worked with her before, but she came uh, from a recommendation from a couple of people I've done a ton of work with the last 20 years. And I, we didn't really have this discussion beforehand. Um, I alluded to it only to differentiate why I charge what I charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, with anyone that's new, if they haven't really interacted with me a whole lot, uh, they sometimes people might get sticker shock. Yeah. Um, but in her case, I had to sort of, um, I had to introduce this idea, and knowing that it had probably already been talked about. Infer, I sort of inferred from where they, where she came from, the people that referred her to me. They probably had already had this conversation. I just needed to remind her. Mm-hmm. And my reminder was, I'm if you just need a studio that has a microphone that can record your voice singing, you can stay where you're at. <laughs> and right. you can get it done a lot cheaper. Yeah. But number one, I'm going to put you in front of about five to $8,000 worth of stuff. That's going to make sure that whatever voice you bring to the studio is going to be incredibly well represented. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the best picture of your voice that you will have ever had. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. (laughs) At that point, it's on you. Right. right. What you bring to the table, we'll know at Mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that... Part of what you're coming here for is this experience, the experience of coming in and being in an environment where you're going to work with someone who's really going to dig into who you are artistically Mm -hmm. and maybe help pull you towards where you want to be. Right. Where where you are up here, we need to get it out into something that everybody else can listen to. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lock arms with you and I'm going to create a safe environment for you that... It's okay if you mess up a little bit. That's cool. In fact, I kind of want you to screw up a little bit. Yeah. So you'll get comfortable. Right. right. We're going to laugh about it. We're going to have a good time with it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kind of dig. We're going to dig really, really deep. And we're really going to find who you are. And it's going to come out through your voice. Mm -hmm. And when people hear your voice, they will know who you are as an artist. Yeah. And that's what you're paying for. Right. And you can translate that as a musician. Like you can uh, you can play in such a way that the musicians you play with are better able to be who they are. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully they'll reciprocate that. You get to be who you are. Yeah. Let's talk about this session ace thing. Okay. Let's talk about it. Um, this is a line of products mm-hmm. that you kind of launched a, a few months ago yep. started with in-ears yep and you saw this gap in the market yep um and you you jumped in with both feet and your head and your ass and everything <laughs> yeah um so talk about what's going on there um i had a problem i was tired of spending 200 to 500 dollars on something that I use every single day that I wasn't happy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this case, we're talking about inner monitors. Uh, 
Um, so depending on which one, and I've got a bunch of different ones, uh, I would spend anywhere from 200 to $500 on a set of in-ears from a big company. Mm-hmm. And they got the job done, but they really didn't make it possible for me to do my work in a better way. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I couldn't hear myself the way I would like to hear myself. And because I spend time on this stuff and I really grind on getting it right, even after I did all the things that I knew I could do to try and make it sound better, I still couldn't get what was coming through these in-ears to sound better. Mm -hmm. And I even went the next step of buying some really expensive in-ear monitors, thinking that that was the problem, that I was just not spending enough money to get the thing that everybody else was using, and then that would solve my problem, Mm -hmm. and it didn't. Mm. And so I had to kind of sit back and go, all right, so either what I want doesn't exist and I'm unrealistic in my expectations, or there's a possibility that if I just do a little bit of education – If I learn a little bit more about how this works, maybe I can actually make something that is the thing I want. And so that's what I did. I took about a year, and I just started experimenting. I started reaching out to different – I found out who made the things that I was buying. Mm -hmm. Because when you buy a product and it has someone's name on it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they made the thing. Right. Uh, Apple does not make the iPhone. Right. Foxconn makes the iPhone. And the components that are in that iPhone were made by other companies. Mm -hmm. And so Apple only takes their technology, their ideas, and filters the ideas through stuff that other people actually make. Mm -hmm. So I took that, um, that way of thinking, and I said, all right, well, who makes the stuff that I'm buying? And I dug deeper to find out, where the actual factories were, who the people were that make these things so that I could actually get into or get past the gatekeepers Uh instead of calling Schur or Sennheiser or some of these big name companies and raising my hand and saying, please pick me. I have an idea. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to choose myself and I'm going to do what they do, but I'm going to do it in a way that will scale according to where I'm at. Right. And initially, I was just trying to make something that was for me, hmm. like with the in-ears. I wanted to make something that was what I wanted to put in my ears and gave me what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And if it cost even more than I had already spent, then great. I would at least get what I always wanted. Right. I just happened to find out in the process that the way I was going about it, I could actually make this available to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If I just spent a little more money. And that is what started that. And and so with the in-ears, initially I picked three different factories and I started working through their catalog parts, things that were on their shelf Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of mixing and matching. We didn't do anything that was totally custom. We did nothing that um, required a huge investment of money mm-hmm. and, and 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 if you think of think of it as gambling, I was trying to play with house money as much as I could. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, all right, so these things that I know are already sitting on the shelf cost this much. Or I can pay ten times as much and have you make something for me that I don't know is gonna work. Mm. So um 
eventually I whittled it down to a production model that was what in certain industries they call minimum viable product. And that was the very first thing we came out with in September. And that was through one of the factories. Um, and I put that out in the market. And the idea was, all right, so if I order a few hundred of these, and it's about 80% of where I think it ought to be for everybody to be happy with it, mm-hmm. can I sell a few hundred of these at a reasonable price? Yeah. And basically – Break even. Right. That was right. the idea. Let me break even. If anything, put a little bit of money towards the next phase of this. Mm-hmm. Take a little of that and shave it off and set it over here so that we can continue this process. And so uh, it took about three, maybe four months total of that product being out in the world that um, all of a sudden I got more and more feedback. And actually ended up swapping factories, swapping manufacturers, because the things that I wanted to do to make this an even better product that even more people would like, uh, it required using somebody else because mm-hmm. they had a different set of things for me to work with. Right. And so I swapped to a different factory, and the the model of dual driver ear that's out now is the result of that. Mm-hmm. It's taking the 80% I was able to do on my own and with having friends help. You know, giving a few test samples out for people. Now, bring in all of these hundreds of other people using it and giving me their feedback on it. And then we just raise it to that next level. So the the version of the EST, uh, Session Ace EST in-ear monitor that's out now, it's a dual driver in-ear monitor, universal fit. It's a, It combines a balanced armature driver, which is great for high-end, with a dynamic driver, which is the best thing that you can use to generate low end. Mm -hmm. It's why we use big 18-inch speakers in subs Mm -hmm. because a dynamic driver is what gives you rich, detailed low end. Mm -hmm. Uh, You combine the two of those and you get the best of both worlds. Armature driver gives you this nice clarity uh, that you can hear everything. There's a nice... um, pristine detail to it mm-hmm. you really hear separation you hear depth you uh, i really wanted to make something that sounded like a set of studio monitors in your ears mm-hmm. something that it wasn't hyped on the top and the bottom right it didn't have a a ton of extra high end and a ton of extra low end uh-huh. it had the right amount of everything yeah and something i've noticed about them is like there's you know the 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 detailed high end the uh, the depth in the low end, but they also create. You hear space. Yes, there's a, there's a, a space that they kind of put you in. Yes, um, without feeling like you're sealed in a bubble. And that's one of the things, especially with custom fit. Uh, all of the custom fit ear monitors that you can buy that you can spend anywhere from four hundred to eighteen hundred dollars for. Mm-hmm. They all use the components on the inside are balanced armatures, which are great for reproducing high end. They really suck for low end. That's why you see an ear monitor that has um, eight drivers in it or twelve drivers in it, because anywhere from four to six of them, some some of them there are few of them that are using eight armatures for low end. Mm. They've got to stack those things and compound or combine them to give you enough low end, something mm-hmm. that's rich enough. And even then, it still falls short. But 
um, all of those inner monitors are totally sealed. You don't need air for armatures to work. Mm -hmm. It's basically a reed that vibrates in a box. You don't need air for that to happen. Uh, So it does. It creates a great sense of isolation Mm -hmm. because you're basically taking uh, a a rock and sticking it in your ear Mm -hmm. and molding it to the shape of your ear, and now you're cutting yourself off from the world. Right. that's great in terms of uh, maybe um, knocking down the amount of environmental sound that you get, mm-hmm. but it does it to an extreme point to where you lose your contact with the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so the great thing about these ear monitors is because we we use a dynamic driver, we have to port them just a little bit. Mm-hmm. We very I strategically had them place the port so you get the least amount of. Uh, bleed from the outside world, but that little bit that you get connects you to everything around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, you put something in your ears, and you get anywhere, depending on the tips you use, anywhere from 22 to 28 dB of gain reduction, which is plenty of gain reduction. Right. You know, you're taking something that's 100 decibels and knocking it down to 80. Mm-hmm. You can listen to 80 dB all day long and not hurt your ears. Right. Right. You can listen to a hundred for about an hour before you start getting some um, some damage that you won't ever be able to repair. Mm-hmm. So you're knocking down the uh, the environmental noise, the volume of what's coming at you enough to get you in safe levels. Right. But also knocking it down enough so that what comes through your ears doesn't have to be super loud. Mm-hmm. If anything, you sort of couple the whole thing together. Yeah, I I was gonna say I found it easy to. Um, you know, use use the isolation that the ears uh, kind of naturally provide, um, and combine that with the sound that yeah. they're producing. Yeah. So I have an attenuated signal of of what you know what sound is actually happening on right. stage, and I have a balanced signal of what's coming through the ears. Right. Um, and it's you know I'm I'm still working out the balance because I, I'm I'm new to playing with ears now. Sure. And and the the reason that uh, I never used them before is one of the problems that Session Ace is addressing, which is cost. Yeah. They, you know, a lot of ears are just prohibitively, prohibitively expensive. Right. And like you said, sometimes you can pay two, three, four hundred bucks for something that you don't want to use. Right. Because it doesn't sound good. Right. Um, but uh, are, there, are there other ears on the market that combine the the armature and the dynamic drivers. Oh sure. What's the difference about what's different about Session Ace? The quality of what's on the inside. Mm-hmm. You can go and you can buy a hybrid drive. They call it a hybrid driver and air monitor. Mm-hmm. You can buy it for twenty bucks on Amazon all day long. There's a got to be a reason for that. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let you in on two things. So the reason why the twenty dollar ones are twenty dollars is because of the quality of what's on the inside. Uh, you're getting you're getting lesser quality parts on the inside. The surprising thing that I found in doing my research and breaking a book, you hadn't lived until you took a, a set of five hundred dollar inner monitors and cracked them open. <laughs> if if you're as frugal as I am, yeah. that hurts. You're in it now. <laughs> but I had to know what are they putting in these five hundred dollar ear monitors. That yeah, I'm paying that much money for, uh-huh. and I was shocked to find out there was twenty dollar, twenty one 
2173 $21.73 worth of parts in a $500 ear monitor. Mm. And so I had to ask I had to ask other people, why am I paying $500 for something that costs with the cable 25 bucks mm-hmm. to actually make? Right. And you know, once you find out that it has to go through five or six different sets of hands mm-hmm. to get to wherever you buy it from, then that's why it's 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Whether you're buying the $20 ones off of Amazon or the $500 ones, you're really kind of getting the same thing. You're, you're paying less money because they're probably less hands that were in that process to get the $20 ones to you. But you're also paying less because you're not paying for a name. Mm-hmm. There's there's a certain name that comes with some of these brands that if they were to really charge what they're worth, you probably wouldn't buy them because you wouldn't think they were very good. Right. It's the same thing with it's, it's the iPhone. Yeah. It's the iPhone. Yeah. It's not. It's you know it's it doesn't cost that much to make, but the brand has created demand. Right. Um, so you're doing a, you're doing a, a dual driver and a quad driver. Yeah. We just came out with the quad drivers last month and the quad drivers, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to be able to improve the sonic picture that you get. And the only way you, we're already using the highest quality dynamic driver I can possibly get and the highest quality armature driver I can possibly get. Um, the only way to make the sound better is to slice up the frequency range mm-hmm. so that you have two armature drivers that are split in the difference with the high and high mid frequencies and two dynamic drivers that are split in the difference between low mid and lows. Mm-hmm. You've got one dynamic driver that's slightly bigger than the other one. They're both the same components, but since one is a little bit bigger than the other, goes a little bit further down. So they're sort of sharing the load in the bottom half of the frequency range. So now when you spread that across four drivers, you get more clarity. And in the case of the armature drivers, we actually stepped up the uh, the quality of the armature drivers and went one more level higher in terms of what the armature can reproduce. Mm-hmm. So in the dual, uh, the dual drivers, they produce all the way up to 20 kilohertz or 20k which for most people perfectly fine Mm -hmm. but for somebody who really wants a real sonic picture of what's happening the armature drivers that are in those are actually classed hd audio armature drivers so they actually go up to 40 hertz Hmm. or 40 kilohertz 40k so you can't hear up to 40k but there's a sense of air in these things and there's a detail in the high end that even surpasses the duels so mm. it was really just about how can we maybe maybe go one level up mm-hmm. on the capability of the driver right so that we get a little bit more um on the top end so that we get a little more air it's a little more real sounding mm-hmm. and then at the same time uh, make the whole thing more efficient because we're spreading out the work across the four drivers. Right. Uh, now, there's also the side benefit of the housing for them is a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. So if you have a smaller ear or for some reason the $99 ones don't quite uh, work for you in terms of the fit, 
the ESAs, the 199s, definitely will. Yeah. Because they're uh, maybe 30% smaller. Okay, yeah. And they're metal, too. They're actually they're actually a, a, a sort of a metal component yeah. combination it's of things. It's just a different casing. It's a different, yeah. different size. Different, different casing, so they're, and they're a little more durable. The metal's mm. probably a little more durable. It's right. not... It's not metal in the fact that it it's not going to feel heavier in your ears, mm-hmm. but it does feel a little more substantial as far as right, the product goes. Right. So you've got a you've got a ninety nine dollar model, a hundred and ninety nine dollar model, yeah. um, and like you said, you're you're talking about um, solving problems yeah. for people, and I I think that's a that's a good way to approach business in general yeah. whether you're playing drums or recording music or like what problem do you have that i can solve for you right but so the the um this this line of ears can can address different problems for different types of players right for me my problem was that ears were too fucking expensive yeah i'm not gonna spend 500 bucks right. i'm just not uh and these solve the problem of i can get into a good sounding set of ears yeah for 200 or even $100. Yeah. For people who already have a Mondo set of custom molded mm-hmm. whatevers, these solve the problem of I can beat these things up. Yeah. If, you know, I'll I'll keep my I'll keep my really expensive ones in a in a little box mm-hmm. and only yeah. <laughs> only take them out when it's absolutely safe. Right. But if I'm uh, you know, using them for practice, using them for bar gigs, yeah. if I'm going to step on them, okay. they fall off the floor tom, right. you know, 99 bucks is I mean it sucks to lose ninety nine bucks, but it's way better than losing five hundred. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are a, a lot of musicians that have bought uh, either one of these models that have they use them as their backup. Mm-hmm. I had a vocalist that uh, bought a set of them, and and he was out in Texas. And the one thing I will say about the really expensive custom mold ears is that they're kind of fragile, mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately on. Uh, depending on which ones you get, not all, like the cables may not necessarily be interchangeable, mm-hmm. especially with uh, the real high-end ones. The cable is sort of built into the thing. In mm. the case of this guy, his one of his cables shorted out, and all of a sudden he had one side that didn't work. Mm. And he had a set of the ESAs, popped them in, good to go. Yeah. So he had an affordable set of backups that sounded at least as good as what he had. Mm -hmm. And in his case, he actually ended up getting the expensive ones fixed, and now they're the backups. (laughs) Uh, And and this is the one one thing I will say. Um, For someone who wants to spend a lot of money and wants to say that they're using whatever high-end brand of ears that they're using, uh, and there's a lot of them, this is not the product for those people. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain there's a certain uh, vanity metric that comes for some people in using really expensive things. True, and it may not necessarily be a better product, but there's a status that comes from using that thing for right. them. They will never buy anything that I ever make mm-hmm. because I'm pulling that off the table. Because my again. My metric for what is important is different than other people's metric. Mm -hmm. I want something that sounds great, that feels great, that doesn't break the bank. Mm -hmm. Doesn't compromise in making it affordable. Mm -hmm. But 
isn't expensive for the sake of being expensive right. because it makes me feel better about spending more money. Right. With the 199s, the components that are in those, I could charge a thousand bucks. In fact, the dynamic drivers that are in there are in thousand and twelve hundred dollar universal fit high end audiophile ear, ear monitors. Right. But um, I didn't. But, but I didn't want to make something that was a thousand bucks. And you're not offering a product that that has the person's initials bedazzled. <laughs> Into right. the housing, right, right. Uh, you know, it's it's a workmanlike product, right. And and there's so much of it. I, I bought a watch the other day, uh, and there's a there's a watch that's in the line of product, right. So this is like the 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 session ace thing is not only in ears, yeah. it's it's shit you can use on a gig, right. There's exactly. a watch, there's a wallet, there's a flashlight, there's uh, what am I missing? There's a baseball hat. There's a hat because um, everybody needs a hat, right, you know? right. And there's other products that are in the pipeline that'll come out, right. But uh, all the products that are in the pipeline currently that are available at sessionace.com, they're all products that I needed this, mm-hmm. or I already had an interest in it with the wristwatch. If you if you walk in my room, I've got a box that's just loaded with all kinds of nice watches. Mm-hmm. I wanted a watch because time we're drummers. Time is the most important thing. Miles Davis said, actually, to take it one step further, he said, "Time's not the most important thing; it's the only thing." <laughs> so for me, making a watch just kind of seemed like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have there's a there's a practice hack that I have where I don't take my phone into the practice room. Yeah. Uh, so that I can just give my attention to practice. Well, I need to know what time it is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use my wristwatch to make sure I know what time it is, but it's not an Apple watch, so it doesn't tell, tell me every email and text message that comes through right. or every Facebook notification. So uh, so I, in that case, I, I bought um, – in doing my market research in making a watch, I bought a lot of watches that had similar components to them. And I spent anywhere from $500 to $1,000 on some of these watches. And I'd get the watch to find that what I really bought was a $100 watch and $100 worth of packaging. Mm, yeah. And so I had to kind of ask, all right, and there are a few watches I bought that were $500 watches that it was a $30 watch in $150 worth of packaging, and the rest of it was pure profit for the company. Mm. Uh, they just had a really good Instagram account that made their stuff look expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, again, in all practicality, I went, all right, how can I make the best watch possible? So, uh, you know, if you if you look at this, it's a, a premium you can't look if you're listening, but I'm taking it off so I can tick down all the stuff here. It's a premium grade leather band that actually has quick release uh, tabs on it. So if you want to change the band out, you don't have to go through a whole bunch of rigmarole to get the band off. Um, the um, The face of it isn't just regular glass or plastic like there's some two and three hundred dollar watches you can buy that they use just window grade glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a nice mineral glass. It's incredibly scratch resistant and it's pretty thick. Uh, there's the best uh, steel that you can buy for a watch that uh, I think they call it three, uh, I should know this, 316L stainless steel that's anodized black. So it's the best steel that you can get for a watch that you would want. Um it's got all Swiss components on the inside, so the Swiss movement. And that was important because a lot of – I bought a $300 watch and do my market research only to find out that it had Chinese movement in it that cost $1.50. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was uh, working with this, this 
factory to make these. I said, I want the best Swiss movement that you can get for me. And if it costs a lot more, that's fine. As long as we can eventually make a watch that is incredibly affordable, but that is incredibly durable. It looks great. Um, it's water resistant up water resistant up until like about 50 feet. Mm -hmm. So if you accidentally spill something on a gig, you don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. If it falls in your glass, I've taken my watch off and I've actually <laughs> accidentally dropped my watch in a, in a glass of beer and uh, ruined watches. Yeah. I'm like, if I accidentally do that, I'd like to not have to worry about the watch. Yeah. Um, the hands are glow in the dark. So you can actually tell what time it is if all the stage lights are out. Like every little detail about a watch I, that I could think of, I possibly could possibly think of. I want to put it into a watch. Yeah. But I also want to know what time it was, what the day of week was, and what the date was right. without having to look at my phone. Right, right. Again, limiting my distractions. So there's, so it's one of those things. I already loved watches, wristwatches. I wanted something that was super, super high quality, but I wanted to be able to um, make it in a way that made it real affordable. So normally, if you were to buy a competitor's watch like this, it, it would cost you at least four to five hundred bucks, and it's one ninety nine through Session Ace. And it's only that way because <clears throat> I, I don't put a premium on the brand. Mm -hmm. I don't put a premium on the, the packaging. Right. It's very basic packaging. It's just like the ears. You put a premium on the guts. Yeah. That, yeah. You put the money where it's important. Right. right. And I think, I think that's, a good, that's a, good, uh, a good adage to live by in your life. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can put all your money into the window dressing. Or you can put your money into what is of real substance, mm -hmm. what really matters at the end of the day. And, uh, and so that's what we did with this. Uh, the wallet, same kind of thing. I mean, everybody needs a wallet. Uh, I wanted a wallet that had some features to it that made it uh, a great wallet. But I also, being a drummer, I wanted a wallet that does the thing that I use a wallet for which is I use it to dampen my snare drum all the time. Mm -hmm. If you want to know how Al Jackson got the sound of his snare drum on every Al Green record, put your wallet down on the snare drum. <laughs> but in this case, again, I wanted, I wanted to think past just the obvious, and I wanted to make a wallet that gave me options. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> um, and, and there's a video that I put together to kind of show this real quick video. Unlike how I talk, uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, very you, you like the sound of your own voice too. You know, there are times it's the best. <laughs> um, but so if you if you flip the wallet over, I call it the label side where you actually see the brand and everything. Um, you put the wallet down on the snare drum like that, and even if you got it loaded with cards, it actually when you hit the snare drum, it actually comes off the drum for just a brief second. Dave Weckl had a a snare dampener years ago that was incredibly fragile because I broke a bunch of them that uh, did the same sort of thing, had this little stopper that would come off the drum when you hit it oh, and settle yeah, back yeah. on it. Yeah, The wallet does that if you use the label side. So it actually comes off the drum for just a brief second and you get some of the overtone and then it damps the back end of it, kind of gating the overtone. But it's got a, a little coin pouch with a zipper on it on the other side. If you flip it over and put about $2 worth of quarters in there, zip it up, flip it over and put it on the, the, the pocket side. Mm -hmm. That's what we call the zipper pouch is the pocket. 
Um, that kind of makes sense if you're a drummer, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> if you put the pocket side down with about $2 worth of quarters, it weights the thing so that it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. So you really kill the overtones, and you get that Don Henley, Al Jackson, that really dead 70s sound right. immediately. Right. And for me, on most gigs that I do, I need choices. Right. And so uh, I, I don't have the luxury that Steve Jordan has of a tech sitting there with six different snare drums uh-huh. that will load them in between songs. Right. I need to be able to take one snare drum and make it sound like a lot of things. Yep. yep. So with that, I can get at least three sounds. Right. And, and this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. Like, there, you know, there are ways to approximate sounds, especially right. when it comes to snares. There are, a way, there are ways to... <laughs> allude to a certain sound or a certain vibe might not be the exact same pitch might not be the exact same tone but it'll kind of occupy that a similar sonic it's in the neighborhood sonic space yeah. yeah yeah that's you know that's the whole the whole idea with the wallet it wasn't readily apparent to people session Ace is a lifestyle brand if if we were using the terminology that people are comfortable with in these spaces it's a lifestyle brand it's a brand of products that musicians will find valuable for them on recording sessions and live gigs mm-hmm. session ace because i with all the work that i do the majority of the work that i do is in the studio it just kind of the brand made sense when i was trying to come up with a name mm-hmm. for it and um it also sort of it, it helps frame the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, and that's about as much as we're going to do with branding. Right. You know, it's it's not going to be a glitzy, fa- flashy brand mm-hmm. because it's meant for workaday folks. It's meant for blue collar working musician types. Right. And every one of the tools, all of the things that are currently in the line, all the things going forward, are all going to be very useful tools. The flashlight. Yep. Um, that's not something I invented. Uh, I found a company that was making a really good tactical flashlight, and we added a few things into it, like uh, a clamp that fits on a cymbal stand and rotates. We added some things that make it more specific for drummers, Mm -hmm. but that was just a product that I I found it, and I was knocked out by it. And I looked and I saw that most people that were rebranding this company's flashlights were selling for 80 bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's kind of ridiculous because I know how much they pay for them. Yeah. So I said, all right, well, we're going to pay that much for them. We're going to put a few extra things in the package that are going to be valuable, and we're going to sell it for a third of price. Mm-hmm. And it was just trying to, to uh, cut out all the fat right. and make something that people could easily afford and so affordable that if you need two of them, you can buy two of them. Right. Everything everything is functionality driven. Yeah. It's not image driven. Exactly. Um uh, cool. It's substance over style. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there can be arguments made for either one of those, but I guarantee you, if you've got something that uh whether it's a piece of music you're listening to or um an in-ear monitor that you're sticking in your ears, if it's something that is of high substance, mm-hmm. but low flash, you're not going to care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it works. If it works, if it does what you need it to do, the absolute best that it can do it. Mm-hmm. And doesn't cost you a whole lot of money. You're going to win every time. Yeah. You're, you're always going to go for that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that was... Again, with 
just like uh, just like my philosophy with everything else in life, I would rather give you substance over style any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Where can people check this out? Uh, the Session Ace products are at sessionace.com. Easy to remember. It's super easy. <laughs> super easy. Cool. And uh, the great thing about it, too, because I'm very uh, very much a relationship-driven person, uh, people will that have emailed or uh, sent me messages, will they'll attest to it. It's very easy to get in touch with me. Yes. So <laughs> he is not he is not hard to find. Yeah. When you send an email to sessionaceofficial at gmail.com or you fill out the form on the website, it comes right to me and I answer. Yeah. That's important to me. That high touch experience where uh, for me when I'm when I'm buying products, I gravitate towards products that I can buy where I know the person on the other end of the transaction. Right. It's a lot of my studio microphones. Um, about half of the microphones that I have are brand specific, the brands that you would know, the AKGs, the Shures. Um, but the other half are brands that there's a person on the other end of the brand, mm-hmm. whether it's Peluso or Advanced Audio or some of these boutique manufacturers. I can get a f- on a phone or I can get on email and I can get in contact with a person. And odds are that person might have even made the thing that I'm contacting them about. Right. And that's right. that's what I wanted to create with Session A. So um, I didn't actually make the watch, but I know the people that made the watch and they care about the watch as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Same way with the in So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. We saw each other just a few days ago at the Peter Erskine Clack. Yes, uh, and it was it was awesome to to see Peter again. It was it was awesome of you and John Chaldon and a couple other people to organize a big Atlanta drummers hang. Yeah, um, and it it was a great clinic. Of course, Peter is yeah. is amazing. Um, but he talked about uh, he talked about bad habits in that clinic. Yeah, he talked about no matter how old you are or what level you're at, just be sort of constantly vigilant yeah. about you know habits in your drumming yep. that aren't serving you. Right. So I think this is going to become a question that that I ask everyone okay. on the podcast. So what right. are what are some bad habits that you're you're trying to break right now? Oh, that's a good one. Um bad habit number one is uh I'm trying to uh not second guess my inner voice. Hmm. Not my inner critic, but my inner voice. Mm-hmm. That little voice that always leads you in the right direction initially. Some people call it your gut. Mm-hmm. 
It's it's that little inner voice, and I think that's a bad habit that people don't realize they have. You have an initial reaction, and it's usually informed by everything that you've ever experienced and everything that you see around you. And I have a bad habit of second-guessing my inner voice. So when I have a good idea, whether it's an artistic idea or just uh, an everyday life thing, I tend to second-guess myself, and all of a sudden I find myself uh, – either not doing what I should do or having a lesser experience in what I actually do. Right. right. So that's a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Um, got, that's interesting. You're like, you're a super analytical person. You're a very, yeah. you're a very heady, thinky person. Yeah. And instinct, especially musical instinct mm-hmm. is, is more about emotion. It's an right. emotional impulse. Right. So if, if you spend a lot of time, analyzing Mm -hmm. your instinct, then it kind of ceases to be an instinct. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what that leads me to, and it's again, part of, because of the way that I think, uh, I have a bad habit of not being in the moment. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm either thinking about what happened before or I'm thinking about what's going to happen five steps ahead. And in music, you can't do that. Yeah. You really do have to stay Music at its highest levels, whether it's a pop song or it's the most avant-garde jazz, if you're operating at the highest levels, you have to be totally in the moment. Your concentration has got to be focused finally on what's happening around you at the moment Mm -hmm. and your immediate reaction to what that is. This is not only the the best way to – this is not only going to yield the best results in terms of how you perform – I find it yields the best results in terms of my own experience. Yeah. The more in the moment I am, the more I enjoy it. Right. The more I enjoy playing. Right. Um, and, and, and at a certain point, you have to trust. If you practice on a regular basis and you practice, practice with intent and with purpose, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's where the analytic part is, is supposed to live. Mm-hmm. We, you know, in the practice room and, and all the things that support what we do in the practice room, we're supposed to be utterly analytical. You know, you're supposed to be transcribing things in tunes. You're supposed to be videotaping your hands and seeing, you know, stick heights mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, hand positions and where on the drum you're hitting and how consistent things are. Like the practice room is where we're supposed to be our most analytical so that when we're actually creating, we're actually in the moment, we can – Focus on the moment mm-hmm. and let what – we're informed by all that we've done. I heard Steve Smith say one time that we start as players not thinking. Mm-hmm. We are totally visceral. Right, right. And then – Especially in the, on drums. Oh, yeah. Because that's yeah. an immediate – like it's if you primal. Yeah, if you start on violin, like you have to think about that shit. You yeah. can't – you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. drums are just yeah. so immediate. Like yeah. Greg Bissonette talked about watching like when his kids were little. Yep. He was like seeing a two-year-old just yeah. grab a stick and whack a drum. Like it, it, it sounds and looks the same as he does it. Right. You know, grab a stick, whack a drum. Yeah. Everybody does it the same. And in the middle, we have to, if we're going to increase our level of proficiency, but also increase the level at which we can express 
our artistic uh, our artistic expression on that instrument, we have to go through this middle section where we're incredibly analytical and we're breaking down things to the subatomic level so that we can understand how they work, mm-hmm. understand how they're put together. We can put them together, take them apart, put them together in a different way mm-hmm. so that we then get on the other side where we're back to not thinking. Right. But you're not thinking informed by all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And the, the the end is much more expressive and beautiful as a result. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I definitely have a habit of not always crossing over into the last section yeah. where I can just let go and know that whatever it is that I'm going to do is informed by all of that work that I've done and what I'm hearing right at this moment. Mm-hmm. And trusting, again, getting back to trust, as I'm trying to get people to trust me with who they are, I'm having to learn to trust myself knowing that I've set myself up to succeed. Mm-hmm. I've done – I'm doing the work. Yeah. Do you know Kelly McCarty? I don't. He's a great bassist in town. I, I play with him quite a bit. Um, but in, uh, in talking about this kind of thing with him, he said – there is because he was talking about the time he spent in grad school when yeah. he was just shedding yeah. like he wasn't gigging he was just fucking shedding yeah and he said there is nothing like the confidence that comes there's like there's there's confident there's ego driven confidence mm-hmm. right there's there's praise driven confidence right. but he said there's nothing like the confidence that comes from knowing you've put in the work yeah and when you've put in the work when you've put in the time then you trust your own instincts, right. you trust your playing, and that makes you musically trustworthy to other people. Sure. Um, whether they're your colleagues or they're your listeners. Um, it really it really comes out. And Kelly's like, if you watch him play or play with him, he's, he's an extremely confident player. Yeah. As, uh, as a drummer or as a listener, I know that Kelly McCarty is not going to leave me twisting in the wind. Right. He's going to take care of me. Sure. Um, and that, like, like you said, the prep, putting in the work, yeah. being able to trust yourself goes a long way. Yeah. And, and, and people may not think of that as a habit, but, uh, it has but to it be. Is. It, it is. Yeah. It is being able to put yourself to be able to put yourself consciously put yourself in that position to where I choose. And that's, <clears throat> dude, we could talk for hours about this in terms of intentionality. Everything that you do musically, just as everything you do in life, should have intention. So even that, choosing to be in that headspace, I I think as artists or people have the perception that art is haphazard, that artists are haphazard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I do have – I do kind of live by this mantra that that things get – as artists – uh, we're sort of aimless in the beginning. We're messy in the middle so that we can be beautiful in the end. <laughs> but And so you need that mess in the middle. Yeah. But the mess has to be intentional. Right. So that you get to the intentional part of the beauty. Mm-hmm. And so you, that that intentionality is a habit, saying I'm going to put myself in this mindset. Now, eventually you you get to a point where certain things like that – uh, can become second nature, but you always are going to have to remind yourself mm-hmm. because none of this, nothing that we do is second nature. 
the only things that are second nature are what we're born with. Mm-hmm. We're born with breathing, and we're born with uh, expressing happiness and uh, our reaction to pain or discomfort. Uh-huh. Those are the only things that are second nature. Everything else is learned. Mm-hmm. So in that way, being intentional is a habit. Being able to put yourself in that headspace is a habit that has to be cultivated mm-hmm. and continually refined. Yeah. I got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what else you got? We talk about networking a lot on the show, but but almost every time – uh, we we bring it back to the fact that the, the the goal of networking is to create relationships, yeah. and the way to create relationships is to make the hang. Yeah, making the hang like you know the, the hang takes a lot of different forms. Yeah, it could be going to somebody's gig, it could be going to a big concert, it could be grabbing a coffee with somebody. Right. But it's about making the hang. It's yeah. not about passing out cards. No, it's about making the hang. It really is, and and. Believe it or not, you won't be able to tell from this interview or for from anything that's probably on my social media, I'm an introvert. I'm actually very introverted. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable for me to go out and do these kind of things. And and there's there's a paradox with people that are in the entertainment industry. Uh, the reason we get on stage is because we're introverts. Right, because you're alone on stage. <laughs> because nobody can talk to you. Exactly. <laughs> this is a phenomenon. Like my, my wife uh, uh, noticed this a while ago. She's like, yep. She said, I and a lot of musicians I know are introverts masquerading as extroverts. Yes, yes, and, very much you so. Know, a, lot of us, a lot of us do a good extrovert impression. Yeah. Um, you know, by necessity. Yeah. But... Uh, by nature, a lot of us are introverts. So these these kind of drummer hang things are a very safe place for people that are introverted that may not have as many friends as they would like right. to come in and you can know. And I, Because Brian said it, before you even get here, this is a safe place for you. If you've never met anybody in the Atlanta music scene, mm-hmm. you can show up. Right. Because if you've listened to this or if you follow anything that I do on social media, you have at least one friend. <laughs> you can walk in and go, there's Brian. Right. And what Brian's going to do is he's going to introduce you to everybody else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My whole goal in being there is making new friends so that they can in turn make new friends. Right. That's the whole idea. So you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff start popping up in my social media about mm-hmm. um, introverts and and how we really we need other people mm-hmm. yeah. to, to to function in the world. You need other people. So tactics, uh, strategies, places, events, things that you can do to help with the uncomfortable nature of being in a crowd of people you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so really that as much as anything that's really what this is for. Right. And I was I was going to say this I was going to say this anyway but now is is the perfect opportunity to say it. In terms of connecting people and and welcoming new people nobody has been more welcoming to me than you have. Well, you cool. you've been you've been an ally to me professionally since right. I moved here. You've been a friend to the podcast. And I, I just want to tell you publicly, I've said online as much, but I, I want to say on the podcast that I really appreciate 
everything you've done to help me since I moved here cool. and, and appreciate all the support cool. you give in the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. That's well, I mean, I just I do what I can, you know, because um, there's plenty of room in the world for all of us. There's a unique place in the world for every single one of us. Mm-hmm. We just need the space to be able to find what that is. Right. That's that's partially what this podcast is about, is that everybody's path is unique. Every the, the space that everybody occupies yeah. in the music world is yeah. is unique. And there's no right or wrong. There's there's what you value and, and what your goals are and, and how you do it. I hear whether it was music schools I used to teach at or things that I, I see uh, and read uh, every single day about this industry. I hear about how everything is so competitive mm-hmm. and how um, you've got to give you know five hundred percent because there's somebody else giving six hundred percent and it's dog eat dog. And I, I really truly do not believe that mm. because. Um, if your goal is to be who you are, you are utterly unique mm-hmm. for no other reason that no one else is you. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else that can take up the space that you can take up in the world if you're being who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to be someone else or you're trying to be what someone else tells you is the thing to be, you've got a lot of competition. You know, if you want to be the skinny jeans guy in the skinny jeans band, you got a heck of a lot of competition. Right. But if you're into finding your unique place in the world because of who you are and what you have to offer, you have no competition. Right. And so at that point, when you when you accept that about yourself and then you you begin putting that vibe out to other people you attract more people that are like that right that come from that same standpoint and now when we meet each other and one of the reasons why you and I are not in competition for gigs mm-hmm. in fact i've given your number to people that could have just as easily called me for a gig same yeah yeah People that have hired me, people that do hire me, people that might hire me. Mm -hmm. I don't have any problem with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you a gig hoping that you're going to give me a gig later. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing is I'm seeing an opportunity where who you are as a working professional, you're the perfect fit for this. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And I have the opportunity to make sure that you have a place to be your unique self in the world. Yeah. And so I hand that to you. And maybe there's a reciprocity. Maybe there's not. I don't really care. Yeah. The, the only thing I care about is that everybody that I come in contact with has that opportunity, mm-hmm. that I'm able to facilitate that, that if there is an opportunity for me to hand you a place where you can pay, help pay your mortgage mm-hmm. and also be who you are in the world – then we both win at that point Mm -hmm. because whoever I referred you to is going to look back at me and they're going to thank me for being a solid enough dude in the world that I would send, I can't tell you how many guys send crappy drummers to other gigs Mm -hmm. so that they'll keep getting the call. Right, right. They'll send their second, third, fourth, fifth best choice so that 
they'll always have a secure place in the world. Right. And I mean, you talked about like reinforcing, <clears throat> strengthening existing relationships. Mm -hmm. The person that you recommended me to, like by, by virtue of the fact that you sent me to do this gig yeah. and I, I did well on it or yeah. at least didn't fuck it up, reinforces that person's yeah. uh, uh, view of you and how right. much they trust you. Exactly. Um, so, and that's, that's going to come back to you. Yeah. It's, and, and, and that's really, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to build a life worth living and you're trying to build a career that gets past feast or famine, mm. if you're trying to get into, if you're trying to build a career that constantly sustains itself, yeah. it's all built on that trust. Mm -hmm. People have to be able to utterly trust you. And at any point, if you break that trust... For whatever reason, especially if it's for your own self-interest, mm -hmm. you've automatically killed the business you're trying to build and sustain. Mm -hmm. You might not kill it today, right? but over time, you're going to continue to make those kind of decisions. You're going to make a little one here and a little one there and a little bit bigger one there and a little bit bigger one there, and over time – you're going to look at your career and you're going to ask yourself, why is it not doing what I hoped? Yep. Why am I not where I thought I would be? Why am I not getting this? Why can't I pay my rent or my mortgage? Why, why did they turn the lights on? Why did they repossess my car? I thought I was really good at what I did. I thought people liked me. Mm -hmm. Well, if you turn around and look, and this is where the analytical part comes in, if you turn around and look or you use your rearview mirror and you – and you really make an honest account, you'll see all of those little decisions that you made mm -hmm. that were all in your own self-interest. Yeah. I really honestly believe very a guy who was a lot smarter than me said, you can have everything in the world that you want if you can help enough, enough other people get what they want. Mm, yeah, yeah. And if I put you ahead of my self-interest, my, myself – in all that I do, I know over time my life will be exactly what I want it to be. Mm. It's going to be the kind of thing that I never have to look at it and go, well, what the heck just happened? <laughs> right. Why does this suck so bad? Right. Why is the universe not helping me out? Mm -hmm. Why do I not? It all starts with us, and it starts with us getting out of the way. You just get out of the way, man. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for talking with me, man. man and thank for, you. Thank you for hosting in your in your lovely facility. Yeah. This, uh, this sound is, I think, gonna gonna beat the shit out of uh, my usual Yeti Blue setup. Well, I, I hope I hope it, I hope it's the best sound you've ever had in any one of your podcasts. <laughs> and anything less than that, I will be um, unhappy with my contribution. <laughs> well, you. There's no chance of that. No chance of that. Thanks for talking, man. Cool. See ya. That was Brian Stevens, Renaissance Man. Like he said, you can check out all the Session Ace products at sessionace.com. Get you a pair of those ears or a new wallet or watch or anything else he's got going on there. You will not be disappointed with any of it. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. And thanks to you for checking us out. Cheers. Cheers.